All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're still in our series, Meeting Jesus, and we're up to chapter 8. We're going to focus on verses 28 through 36 today. If you're using a pew Bible, that's page 566. John chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 28 through 36. Now, if you remember, our whole purpose is to get to know Jesus. But as we're getting to know Jesus, he's revealing a lot about ourselves. He's revealing a lot about people. And so in this section of scripture from chapter 7 through 12, it's really focused a lot on the rejection that Jesus is receiving from people. And what we've seen, it's not all uniform. People are different, but they all have different reasons why they're rejecting him. And so in the midst of that discussion, Jesus is going to talk about what it really means to believe. Now, we think we understand that. We tell people that all the time. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to believe in God. Don't we do that? In fact, we, 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 we even get worked up and say, well, it's because we don't believe or people aren't believing in God. That's the reason why our society is the way it's going. Yes, that's true. The rejection of God is the reason why the world is going in the direction that it's going. That's just the consequence of rejecting God. But, but there's a problem. There's some confusion when we talk about the issue of belief. And I hear it all the time. And so I want to make a couple of points here. Okay, first of all, there is a danger in oversimplifying the gospel and the nature of belief. There is a danger in oversimplifying the gospel and the nature of belief. What do you mean by that, George? Well, here's the thing. Through the years, I've watched it happen, and, and, it, and, and it could be for a lot of different reasons. One reason is, is that we don't really like people not liking us, and so we want to be likable to people. So... We want to make Jesus likable to people. Well, isn't he likable by himself? Yes, he is. But remember, we're reading through John here. I mean, he's pretty likable, but people still don't like him, right? So what we have done is we've had a tendency, though, to oversimplify what it is to believe. Because we want everybody to believe. But what does that mean? Well, we simplify it. Here's what you've got to do. Pray a prayer. If you pray that prayer, you'll be okay. Now, you might be saying, well, isn't, isn't that okay? Well, you're going to see it's actually a little bit more than that. That is an oversimplification. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. There was a, a Christian leader of the last couple of decades who passed away in the last 10 years, Chuck Colson. Anybody ever hear Chuck Colson? Those of you who are old enough, you'll remember Chuck Colson used to be a hatchet man for Richard Nixon. And when the Watergate scandal happened, he, of course, was found guilty, did time in a federal pen, and then got out and he became a Christian leader because he found faith. Chuck Colson, in one of his books, tells the story of when he was in prison, he met a New York mobster. Now, in federal pen, of course, there are going to be people who are there who are like him, who 
did some political wrongs and ended up in jail, but they're also going to be mobsters who the feds go after and so forth. So he met a New York mobster. In the course of his friendship with this New York mobster, he got this guy to, quote, accept Jesus, give his life to Jesus, let him in a prayer. Of course, Chuck gets out of prison. Eventually, the mobster gets out of prison. Chuck then hears that this guy goes back to New York and returns back to his old lifestyle. What old lifestyle? The mob. And his involvement in prostitution, money extortion, drugs, you name it whatever criminal activity would bring money. Now this bothered Chuck, so then Chuck went to go see him and met with him and they talked about their time in prison together and they talked about this decision that Chuck had led this guy into. And then finally Chuck just said, okay, so you made this decision and gave your life to Jesus why are you going back and doing all this now? And Chuck said, the guy looked at him in honesty said, look, when you presented Jesus to me, you just asked me if I wanted to be saved from hell. And I don't want to go to hell. So I did what you told me I needed to do. You never said anything about giving up Following Jesus meant giving up any of this. And Chuck realized that he had oversimplified belief. Now, that's, that's an extreme case, right? A mobster? Yeah, but how many times do we see that happening around us? With family. We ask them to pray a prayer, and then we wonder why, why aren't they changing? Or even, here's the big one, why won't they come to church? Because maybe what we presented was oversimplified. Jesus is pointing this out here. It's interesting. Jesus calls us to believe in him, but in this passage especially, we're going to see that Jesus is going to outline for us what that means. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to, to follow Jesus? He's going to kind of outline that for us. And it's actually amazing. Because he defines it. And when you realize what he's saying, then you'll understand why people don't want to follow him. Because following him means something. It means a change. Not that you've got to get changed for salvation, but salvation changes you. I'll explain as we go along in our passage. So here's the second point I want you to make. Jesus expresses the reality of what belief in him really means. He expresses the reality of what belief in him really means. Now let me explain to you what he's not going to say. Jesus is not going to say, come to me, I'll give you salvation, and then you go on and live your life like you've always been living it. That's not what he's going to say. He never said that. But I'll be honest with you, a lot of things that are presented today in North American Christianity is that. 
But it's never been true. So let me explain. Let's look at it together. So I want you to look with me. We're going to look at verses 28 through 36. Okay, so here Jesus, again, he's in the temple. This is around the time that he has uh, appeared at this great feast. It's surely after the feast. He's still in Jerusalem. He's just made the statement that I am the light of the world. You come to me, you believe in me, you move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He says, those of you who don't want to do it, you're going to die in your sins. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That statement, if you go back, that statement, you're going to die in your sins, would be shocking to Jews. Because that's not what they believed. They actually held on to something else, and we're going to see it in this passage. So let's look at it together, okay? Here it is. Verse 28. Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you, will, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. He who sent me is with me. My Father has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. All right, now here's what we're going to do with this passage, folks. He's going to start out, and already in chapter 8, he's going to allude to the reality of what's coming for him. He says to them, when the Son of Man, when I am lifted up, now, to the Jews, they would immediately understand what he's talking about because in their day, the common form of execution that the Romans utilized and utilized it often was crucifixion. They perfected it. It was their way of dealing with crime. They just stuck you on a cross. A lot of us know, either from watching TV or watching from history, you know the story of Spartacus and the great rebellion of the slaves against the Roman government at that time. Spartacus lost that battle. It's a tragic story. And he became one of several hundred that were crucified and they lined their bodies, crosses, on a road for a long distance the Romans, that was how they handled things. And so when Jesus says, when I am lifted up, he is telling them something that they understand. He's saying when he's crucified, 
So the first section we're going to look at is the coming cross. He's going to make a couple of statements there that you and I need to realize about the coming cross. And then he's going to talk about being a disciple. What does it mean to believe? And what it doesn't mean. What does it mean to be a disciple? So let's look at it, the coming cross. First thing I want you to notice, look at me at verse 28. I've already mentioned it a little briefly, talking about that initial statement. He says, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. All right, so he's referring to the cross. So here's what he's going to say. The cross will give us a proper understanding of who Jesus is. You and I know that. What do you mean, George? Well, think about it. Everybody in the world knows who Jesus is, right? They know about Jesus. But to some people, he's different. To some people, he's Jesus, the great teacher. Jesus, I've even heard, another Buddha, whatever, you know, really? Yes, but that's what they say. They're wrong. Jesus, the tragic figure. But here's what Jesus says. When I am lifted up, when I am put on the cross, when I die, you will understand who I am. What will we understand? Remember, this is all part of that discussion where he talks to them about you will die in your sins. He's getting ready to tell them about the reality that they are slaves to sin. When he is lifted up, we will then realize who he really is. He's who? The Redeemer. The one who sets us free. The one who paid the price for us. Because we want Sin. Did you understand what I'm saying? The coming cross is the realization that he is the one who pays the price for my stuff. For my sins. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. The cross was the result of Jesus' obedience to the Father. It didn't just happen. In fact, we can realize that. Why? Because here we are in chapter 8. When you get over to chapter 19, that's the crucifixion. That's, that's 11 chapters away. There's a lot more that's going to happen between now when he's speaking and when he's finally crucified. He's already telling them what? I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. Now, wh why does he know that? Because he says in this passage, I do what the Father tells me to do. I speak what the Father tells me to speak. I live to please the Father. Do you want to know why Jesus died for you? Because God loved you. God the Father loved you. And wanted to save you out of the mess we found ourselves in. And we were in messes, right? 
And out of his grace, he reached out and he touched us. That is the, the amazing thing here about Jesus, the amazing thing. Here's the other thing I want you to see now, is what does it mean to be a disciple? Here's what I want you to see. Let's look at it one by one. Jesus tells us right off the bat what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What does it mean to believe? Here it is, verse 31, 32. Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. All right, so what's he saying here? So look at what he says. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. So Jesus, in this statement, is telling people who are his followers. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who has decided to follow Jesus. Now, notice what he said. The ones who are my followers, what did he say? If you believe in me, you are my disciple. Is that what he says here? No, he doesn't say that. If you abide in my words. What does that mean, abide? Well, he's going to use that phrase again when we get over into my favorite chapter, John chapter 15. Abide means... You've heard that statement. There, there's even a hymn, Abide in Me. I, I always found it interesting that they sing that at the end of soccer games in England. What does that have to do with a soccer game? Well, it's just an English thing, I guess. But abide is to remain in, to be a part of. And so he's talking about you and I and what it means to believe. And here's the point I want you to see. Allowing Jesus' word to mark your life is a sign of being a follower. Allowing Jesus' word. Now, what word? Well, how do we know what Jesus' word is? Well, we have it right here if you have a Bible. We have it right here in the Gospel of John. We have it throughout all of this, the word of God. If you allow his word to abide, that is remain in you, that is change you. You're his disciple. You want to know the surefire way you know that you're a believer in Jesus? Well, yes, because I believe back here. No, no, that, that's not the surefire way. You want to know the surefire way? Is he changing you? Is he changing you? Are you different today than you were yesterday because of Jesus? Even when you go through the difficult struggles, when you get to the other end of the difficult struggle, has he changed you through that experience? Are you closer to him because of that experience? Are you following him more and more? Did you understand? Is he changing you? That, that's the reality. Is his word abiding in you? Now, I would say, if you thought about it for a moment, because we have many here who believe in Jesus, who've made that profession at some point in their life, they gave their life to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that moment. For me, it was 1985. April, third Tuesday, 1985, gave my life to Jesus. Now, here it is. January 2022. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm a, not the same person. 
And it's not just because I'm older. It's not because all my hair fell out. Not any of that. It's not because I'm way fatter than I was back then. Yes, there's that kind of change, but I'm talking about change in who I am as a character and the things that I was struggling with and the things that marked my life. There was a change that took place. Now, how let that change take place? 30-some years of following Jesus. And he had a file in his hand, a spiritual file, and he was just working working on this little rough edge on George. And you know what? Hate to say it, he's still working that file on some of my rough edges. He's doing the same with you, do you understand? Because you're abiding in him, do you understand? Belief is more than, I, you know, it, it drives me nuts when I hear something, oh yeah, I prayed that prayer, I'm okay. But then they go on and nothing changes. Look, after 20 years, nothing changing? There's a question mark. How do I know that? Go over to Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. We know that when you come to Christ, who enters into your life at that moment? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to immediately do a work in your life. What is he going to produce in your life? Fruit. Love, joy, patience, long-suffering. Brotherly love. He's producing something in your life. If you thought for a moment, some of you who are older in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. Think back. That's how you know. Because sometimes I have people come to me and say, I know I'm a believer and I know I'm following him, but I can't remember the day. A am I okay? Yeah, you're okay. If God's working in your life and you're changing and you're following him, who cares about the day? Because the scary thing is, is that there are some people, Matthew makes it very clear in chapter 7, that they're going to show up and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these great things in your name? And he'll say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. These people thought they were serving Jesus. So the reality is allowing Jesus' word to mark your life means you're a sign of the believer. Now here's the problem though. As soon as he says that, remember these are Jews, they immediately react. Now yes, he's talking to people who want to believe him. He's talking to people who believe in him as the Messiah. He's talking to them and he's saying this and they're like, whoa, wait a minute now, hold on. Look at what they say. He's, they said, we, verse 33, are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Here's what they said. What are you talking about? We're the descendants of Abraham. What were they doing? Here's the next point. They rested in their religious heritage as a basis of faith. They thought they were okay because of what? They were born a Jew. Hey, that's still happening today. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, my grandmama was a Christian. 
She took me to church. I've heard that. Sorry, that's not what gets you saved, is being in the right family. Going to the right church. What gets you saved is a personal encounter with Jesus in faith. Did you understand what I'm saying? You can't claim personal heritage. You know, Lori and I have, you know, have stressed for years with our children that just being the, the daughter or the son of a pastor doesn't mean you're going to be okay. You have to make that decision yourself. You can't claim religious heritage. Do you know what I'm saying? Now, that heritage can pass on to you, and some of you have been greatly influenced by godly loved ones and godly figures in your life that guided you to Jesus, and you made that decision because they guided you. But you can't rest in their faith. Each one has to make their decision themselves. So their, their minds are blown with this. What do you mean you're setting us free? Setting us free? For, we've never been in bondage. Think about that. That's kind of crazy if you know a little bit about the history of Israel. Uh, they've been in bondage a lot. They had oppressors that would come. The whole Babylonian captivity thing for 70 years. and kept. They were, somebody had, had them captured, right? But they're, 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 they're prideful. That's really what the issue is. Resting in something else as you're standing. You can't have that when you come to God. So here's the third thing I want you to see here. Jesus brings them down to reality. He's going to bring them down to where they need to understand. He's going to bring these Jews who are resting in that they're Abraham's children, that that's why they're okay, that's why they're going to be with the Father. He's, he's going to bring them back to reality because they have a universal problem. It's the same problem you and I have. We all suffer from the same disease. It's called sin. So here's what he says. Look with me at verse 34. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Okay. I don't need you to raise your hand. I already know the answer. But I want you to tell yourself, I've sinned. I sinned today. Oh, I haven't, George. I don't think so. You sin without even knowing. How do you know that? The Bible tells us in the Old Testament. When, when they made sacrifices for sins in the temple, it was for not for determined sin or sins that they committed willfully. It was for sins of ignorance. So it wasn't even a full forgiveness thing with their sacrifice. You and I sin. Say that I'm a sinner. Now here's what he says. Okay, you're a sinner. You sin. You're a slave to it. I'm a slave to no one. You're sounding like somebody we just talked about here, these Jews in Jesus' day. I, I got it under control. You ever have anybody tell you that? I got it under control. 
Right. You know, I, I grew up in a home of an alcoholic. And uh, that, that's brutal. I don't talk about it much, but I remember many times my dad would say to us, I can walk away from this anytime I want. I don't need that beer. Push it away. I'm done. Now, in South Carolina, they don't have basements. What they have under a house is a crawl space. And the way our house was situated, we had a little bit of a crawl space there that when you open it up, you maybe had, with the foundation, you maybe had three feet there. And so we sometimes would put things in there to store them. Now, we didn't have water coming in like we have here, okay? And I remember one time, after he said that, probably the next day, Mom said, go out and get that out from under the house. We need to use that. And I went out there and got it. And guess what? When I opened it up, there was a brown paper sack filled with beer. And it wasn't from the gnomes. You become a slave to it. Now, I'm talking about alcohol there. It could be anything. Food. Anything. And we keep doing it. He is saying, the reality is, don't rest in your religious heritage. You need to be set free. Why? Because if you are a sinner, you are a slave to sin. It doesn't have to be a physical action of drinking a beer or smoking something or doing drugs. It could be an attitude that you're enslaved to. Critical spirit. It could be verbal things that you're a slave to, gossip, things that wreak havoc in people's lives. All of those things are sin. Now, some of them are more presentable, but they're all sin, right? And, God, and Jesus says, you're a slave to it. You're a slave to it. So he says, he states that Committing sin makes us a slave of sin. That's the reality here. So then here's what he says. This is where it comes in. This is where belief comes in, okay? Belief is more than just, oh, I prayed that prayer. Oh, I believe in the Son of God. Folks, there are a lot of people who believe in the Son of God, but they're not saved. They believe in the Son of God like they believe in Santa Claus. Here's what he says, verse 36. You can't get any more wonderful than this. This is why we follow him. This is why you decide to follow Jesus, okay? Listen to me. This is why you decide to follow Jesus. Look at verse 36. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free Indeed. This is why we follow him. Did you understand? Why do we follow him? Here it is. Freedom from the bondage of sin is only found in Jesus. This is why. This is why George, as a 19-year-old 
freshman, second semester freshman engineering student, gave his life to Jesus. I realized who he was. I gave my life to him. And he set me free. We set ourselves free by coming to him. It's not that we're better than anyone else. Man, I wish we would lose that attitude in Christianity today that we're somehow better than everybody else. We are not better than anybody else. Everybody else is just like us. The only difference is we got Jesus. And he sets us free. Did you know what I'm saying? He sets us free. That's why you follow him. That's the nature of belief. So let me ask you. Ask yourself. Why are you following him? And if you're not, please do. Because he, when he sets you free, you are free indeed. Why? Because he talked about it earlier. When I am lifted up, you will know who I am. You will know the reality of why Jesus came and who he is for you. He's the Savior. Let me pray for you.